As I'm sure you know, um, the first audience for every sermon is always me, right? And um, I've been living with some passages of scripture this week. There should be a screen that shows the passages I've been living with. Yeah, there they are. And, you know, we're at the point of the year where we're planning for what we do for Lent and uh, considering the shape of what those services will be like and, and those sort of things. And I'm, and I'm feeling like that I'm messing these plans up, that I don't have this right. And I'm feeling like that I have not been doing a particularly good job of leading you as a pastor. And those feelings are based on my time spent with these passages. And so I think this morning what I'd really like to do is uh, walk you through the passages and let you hear the journey that I've been on this week. And it's possible, it's conceivable, that this week's journey was just for me. Though I'm not, I don't think that's true. So this is Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58, one. Shout out, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. So God through Isaiah is saying to his people, announce to my people their rebellion, and then he describes their actions, right? Day after day they seek me, they delight to know my ways, and I'm thinking to myself, that's exactly what I try to lead you to do. I try to lead you to seek him day after day. I try to invite you to delight to know the ways of the Lord, to spend time in scripture, to pray. And then it says, they do that as if they were a people who practice righteousness. Like, like they look like they're seeking me, but they don't really practice righteousness. It says, they ask of me righteous judgments, and that's what I want you to do. That's what I try to lead you to do. They delight to draw near me, it says. That's what I think I want you to do. I'm encouraging you to do exactly that. But then the congregation asks back to God this question. Why do you fast, God, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? So, so the people are drawing close to God, which is what I've been trying to lead us to do. And, and candidly, that's how I've been preparing to lead us into Lent, that we would seek God, that we would draw near to him, all those things that we typically do during Lent. And then this is what God says about their 
approach to drawing near to him. Look, he says, you serve your own interests on your fast day and still oppress your workers. You fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. He says, is this the kind of fast I choose? A day to humble yourself? And when I read that, I'm thinking, that's exactly the kind of fast I want to pursue in Lent. I want to call us to humble ourselves. And, and he's saying, is this the kind of fast I choose? To bow down and lie in sackcloth and ashes? Well, that's exactly what I'm proposing for us to do, that we lie down in sackcloth and ashes and humble ourselves before God and, and listen to what he says. And he says, will you call that kind of a fast acceptable to the Lord? And I'm saying to myself, all my life, that has been the acceptable fast before the Lord. You humble yourself, you get on your knees, you pray. I think in my mind of, of Second Chronicles, if my people will humble themselves and, and pray and confess that I'll heal their land, then I'm thinking this is exactly where I should be taking this people in humility and in prayer to approach God. And then... And then God says to his people, who are doing all the things that their prophets are asking them to do, he says, isn't this the kind of fast I choose? He says, isn't it to loose the bonds of injustice? To undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourselves from your own kin? That's a different kind of fast. So I've been talking to the staff this week and I'm thinking, here's an idea that we could do for Lent. What if we, sort of like we do an Advent wreath kind of thing and we, we light a candle and we think about the different aspects of Jesus coming, maybe we should get a new kind of candle thing for the altar and we line up seven candles for the seven virtues and small candles in front of her for the seven deadly sins and slowly extinguish the seven deadly sin candles and light the virtues and in the process highlight our transition from vice to virtue by the power of the Spirit. And maybe we can focus on the good things that Christ wants to do in us. And I'm thinking that's a cool idea, we should do that. And then I'm reading this passage. And this is passage is saying to me in really loud terms, why is it when you want to draw close to me, what you do is focus more on yourself? Why is it, why is it you're, so, you're so deeply concerned with your own piety that you're not paying any attention to the kind of fast that pleases the Father? And I think we have this thing backwards somehow. When I came to MCN 11 and a half years ago, one of the first things that struck me about this place was I felt like the congregation was somewhat disjointed. I felt like it was a very warm and friendly conversation on a Sunday morning. But there were three or four large families in the congregation who managed to meet all of their fellowship needs within the relationships of their own families. 
that it was harder for smaller families to get connected. And in my mind, I thought, if we're ever gonna do anything significant in the community, I've gotta figure out a way to knit this fellowship together so that people are genuinely concerned about folks outside their own families. And that's been a priority of mine ever since, still is today. And so we have Advent banquets where the pastoral staff configures how can we set up games and interactions that force tables to talk to each other rather than just talk to the people at their own table? What, what can we do to help people move out of their own circle of friends and invite other people together so we can knit this fellowship together genuinely? And I've had this notion, I've had this notion that my responsibility here was to serve you and to try to make this kind of thing happen. And I'm starting to believe that I've got this wrong. That it's not my job to be here to serve you. It's my job to lead you in the kind of fast that God desires, which is to loose the bonds of injustice, to let the oppressed go free, to share our bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into our house, to when we see the naked, to cover them and to not hide ourselves from our own kin. That, that seems to be what, what pleases the Lord. And I'm repenting of the kind of Lent I thought I would lead you into. Because I believe what this passage is saying to us is when you observe the kind of fast that pleases the Father, verse eight, then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help and he will say, here I am. So maybe it isn't that you work together to unite the congregation so that we can go out and do the work. Maybe it is you just get busy and go do the work. And when you do the things that God pleases, he brings the unity and the health that you need in order to continue to do the work. I'm also reading in 1 Corinthians this week. You heard the first part of this sermon last Sunday, Paul's proclamation that he's only gonna preach Christ and Christ crucified. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with the demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. And I've been wondering, what does that mean? What does it mean for the message to be proclaimed in the power of God? What's that about? And I've been watching the news, maybe you have, about the revival that's breaking out on Asbury's campus. And it was not lost on me that this magnificent outpouring of the Holy Spirit follows a chapel service where the preacher's theme is 
placing love in action, actually loving others, getting out of ourselves and loving others. And this special anointing of the Spirit comes when we choose to love others and we observe the kind of fast that he calls us to. And candidly, I don't know how, I don't know that I've been trained to lead a congregation in the kind of fast that God wants. All of my training is interpreting scripture. All of my training is helping the Christians in my congregation become more like Christ, to to do discipleship, to teach the word. And it feels at times like what is really needed is a community organizer. And I'm not real good at that. And I don't know what this next step for you might be in this. But this chapter in Corinthians ends with this. We have the mind of Christ. It's right there. So maybe, so maybe it's not all on me. Maybe it's not, I have to figure this out for you. Maybe this is out, maybe this is together. We've got to put in place the kind of fast that he calls us to. And I know some of you are already doing that. I understand that completely. But it, I don't think can be just some of us. And I'm reading Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer, no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill could not be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus goes on to say, don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets, I've come to fulfill them. And then he ends the passage with this haunting verse again. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And you understand that verse, right? The scribes and Pharisees are the people of this day who did the very best at keeping the law. None of us approaches the exacting way these folks lived their lives in order to obey the law. They had developed a system of what it meant to please God based on the laws of Moses, and they spent their time externally obeying all the laws in order to please God. These are the pious folks of the New Testament. These are the guys who did the fasting. These are the guys who did the praying. These are the guys who, if they were in our day, observed Lent with great strength and energy and managed to get it all wrong. 
Jesus says, unless our righteousness exceeds this kind of rule-keeping stuff, and you know what the rule-keeping stuff was? It was all centered on themselves. They had to perform in a particular way. It was all about them. It was all about looking at them. It was all about demonstrating how great they were because they had managed to so contort their lives that they could keep these 613 laws or however many it was. And unless we do better than the best law keepers history has known, we don't even get a toe into the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because we've been given this message to be salt and light in the world. Every time we take communion, I read a prayer and it has some very particular words in it. It says, Lord, may this bread and this juice become the body of Christ for us so that we can be the body of Christ for the world. It's for the world. Why did God send his son into the world? So that no one would perish. Not just so the church wouldn't perish, but so that no one would perish. And I'm feeling like I'm not doing a very good job of leading in that direction. Some of you are gonna be tempted to say to me afterwards, oh pastor, you're doing a job. Please don't do that. Because that would be pitting your opinion versus the opinion of the Holy Spirit. And to be candid, it's his opinion I want. Somehow we have got to figure out a way to proclaim the kind of fast that pleases God, not the one that's comfortable to us or makes us feel better about our own personal piety or puts us in, in a place where we can be comfortable in our rule keeping. Somehow we've got to get past that. And I'm inviting you to pray with me that we will hear the voice of the Spirit, that he will present the opportunities for us to actually be salt and light in our world. Here's my fear. My fear is, is that we have created these comfortable barriers in our life that sort of define how far we're gonna go with God, right? We have this much extra income that we can give to the church, or we have this much free time in which we can volunteer, but if you ask, if you ask for much more than that, well then that's gonna interfere with my carefully balanced life. And so I, I don't entertain anything that pushes beyond these limits, these, these carefully constructive limits that allow us to live comfortably in balance in our days. And, and I think the reality is a fast that will please God will say to God, Lord, uh, I... I'm willing to forsake any of those boundaries, any of those barriers, any of the constraints I have put in place in my life that keep me from doing your will, that keep me from engaging 
the world around me. You, you know what I mean. We say things like, Lord, you can't ask me to do more because I'm already doing this thing, right? I've accepted this responsibility. That's my service to you. And that's it. We're done. That's, that's, that's all you get, right? That you, I'm already doing this. And so I excuse myself from the voice of God calling me into any new area or any new responsibility. I'm already taking care of this. I already have this on my shoulders. Lord, I can't do more. And I, I have to confess to you, I have lived in that place in recent days. I'm certainly not completely emotionally recovered from COVID yet. Those times were uh, decimating to us. And the thought of taking on new initiatives or doing more is frightening to me. I'm not getting younger. I don't have the stamina and the strength I once had. And so it can be frightening to hear God say, but what about this and what about that? And the only thing I can tell you about that, when you're feeling overwhelmed and you can't believe there's anything more that God could possibly ask you to do is simply this. God has proven to me over the course of my lifetime that anything he calls us to, he enables us to do. He provides for us to do. Our part is to listen long enough to make sure it's him calling. And once he calls, he will enable us to do more than we can ask or imagine. It may be some of the things that he's called you to are things that now it's time to lay down so that you can step into a different area. I don't know, I don't pretend to know. All I know is that somehow God's calling us to be salt and light out there, not in here. And, and we've gotta get there somehow. And I probably need you to help me figure that out because I'm a little afraid of it. I'm a little nervous about it. I don't know what it's going to ask of me yet. But I'm hoping that Lent this year can be a time of discovering that. And that our, our ears will be open and that our hearts will be full of yes. Whatever that is. Whatever that is. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, forgive us for the times we have attempted to perfect our own piety rather than living as salt in the world you love. Forgive me, Lord, for the times I have led this congregation into a greater pursuit of personal holiness than in social holiness. In these days that are ahead, Lord, as we 
prepare our hearts to listen again? Would you open opportunities for us to be the light of the world? Would you give us clear direction? Would you give us a passion for the things that you're passionate about? Speak to your servants, Lord, because we're listening. Let your heart be broken for a world in need. Feed the mouths that hunger. Soothe the wounds that bleed. Give the cup of water and the loaf of bread. Be the hands of Jesus serving in his stead. Here on earth applying principles of love. Visible expression, God still rules above. Living illustration of the living word to the minds of all who've never seen and heard. Blessed to be a blessing, privileged to care. Challenged by the need apparent everywhere. Where mankind is wanting, fill the vacant place. Be the means through which the Lord reveals his grace. Add to your believing deeds that prove it true. Knowing Christ as Savior, make him master too. Follow in his footsteps, go where he has trod. In the world's great trouble, Risk yourself for God. Let your heart be tender and your vision clear. See mankind as God sees. Serve him far and near. Let your heart be broken by a brother's pain. Share your rich resources. Give and give again. I need you, oh, I need you. Every hour I need you, my one defense. My righteousness, oh God, how I need you. I need you, oh, I need you.
every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. I'm feeling the need to pray a little bit at the end of this service, so I'm just going to say, when you're ready to go, you can go. But if you're going to visit and talk to friends, do it in the lobby today. And uh, we'll keep the sanctuary a place of prayer after the service today. So go in the peace of the Lord.